0: And welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast. My name is Abby Mickey and I am joined as always, well not as always, but as intermittently by Matt Deneve.
1: Hi, thanks for having me back. Great to be here.
0: Am I allowed to spoil that you're going to be on the Tour de France dailies?
1: No, I think we can do that. The flights are booked, so uh, I think I'm going. Yeah, This is
0: very exciting. Matt and I will both be on the ground for the Tour de France Femme, so... Woo! We're going to podcast together for a full week. It's going to be great.
1: Actually in person as well, podcasting.
2: That's super cool. I can't wait. And I can't wait to see you guys because I'll be there too.
0: (laughs) Yay! Oh, maybe we can like sneak you into a podcast or two. Just like very sneakily (laughs) show up to where you are with with microphones. Yeah,
2: that's, it'll be fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's Gracie Elvin, of course.
2: Hey, hey, sorry I sound like crap because I've been sick. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hopefully you feel better soon Gracie's going to jump on the the commentary for the rest of the Giro so if you're not watching men's racing and you want to hear Gracie every single day you can watch the final week of the Giro d'Italia it'll be great yeah, it's going to be good <laughs> we are going to talk about women's racing though because that's that's kind of what we do it's kind of our thing this week we had the Vuelta a Burgos, which was won by Demi Volering. It was an SD works clean sweep. They won every single stage with, uh, Lorena. We was taking stages one and three and Demi st- taking stages two and four, two was potentially the best stage of the race, but we'll get into it. I think we were talking off mic about the talking points for this podcast in this episode. And, uh, we decided that we're going to be we're going to be super honest and we're going to be upfront about what we thought about the race. It wasn't the most exciting race. And I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'm just getting like a little tired of the SC Works dominance. Um I could use another team like kind of throwing a wrench in their plans and mixing it up a bit. But I think we will get to that later in the season. So I think that this is just I said it on the pretty serious bike racing podcast, but I think that The SC Works being as good as they are right now is because they've been really lucky with no injuries or illness this spring into now with their top riders, whereas other teams haven't had that luck. Uh, We obviously, Emma Norsgaard was out of the classics with a broken collarbone. Trek has been down several riders. So there's multiple riders that I think can contest against SC Works, but they've just not as, they've not had as Clean a run at all the races as SD Works. So it's, it is what it is. And what ended up happening was, yeah, they won every stage of this four day race in the overall.
1: I'm actually not as over SD Works winning as I thought maybe I would be, and, and not as over it as you are, Abby. I think. Uh, I, th- I was thinking about it this morning, and I wonder if part of that for me is we're still coming off the back of the Van Vluten era where it felt like her dominance was like on a on a similar level to what we're seeing now but her her dominance was it kind of framed everything else for me and i think having somebody else contending and winning a lot the kind of effect of that is blunted by the fact that we haven't had it for many seasons on end. And it's only really been this year that we've seen this level of dominance from SD Works. I do think it's getting to the point now where it would be good to start seeing some other teams really um, contending. And I think you make a good point that as we get a bit further into the season, we'll see more of that. I don't think SD Works is going to clean sweep the Giro, for example, and I don't think they will the tour either. So I think there's plenty of good stuff to look forward to, but, yeah, I, I know it's just saying we're definitely getting to the point where it's like as good as they are and as likeable as Vollering is, uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see some other teams really taking it to them, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, And like as likeable as Weebus is, because Weebus is super mm. likeable too. I love her interviews.
2: Yeah, she actually gives great interviews. And I think you and I, Abby, because we've come from the peloton, we know what it feels like to be dominated by a certain amount of riders or teams or, you know, one and it's frustrating because you know how good you could be but like taking the personal stuff out of it it's like we know how good some other riders can be we kind of just want to see them shine as well and it feels like they're not allowed to but you know it's it's ebbs and flows and this year is a big flow for the, the SD Works team go with the flow with the go I think that was one of the great quotes so far this year and they just they're just on a good run and like you said They've they haven't had bad luck either, so I think it's just going to lift everyone else next year because people will go back to the drawing boards. You know they already are now, but definitely for next off season, they'll just be like, "How the hell do we be- uh, beat this team?" So like it will lift the level of the whole peloton. It just is not the
0: same as we're seeing with Van Vluten and people are live are rising to her level now. Yeah. The same thing is going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, we had like SC Works, Bulls Dolman's do- dominance too. And what came out of it was multiple top, top level women's teams. That like there was a period there where Trek Segafredo was better than SC Works. And SC Works had to like go find D- Demi And Baller, Capecchi as well. <laughs> yeah. Basically. And we and Snatch Up Weebus <laughs> and Capecchi. Yeah. Oh my God. They're so good. Uh, I mean, like it brings me back to, I think it was maybe 2018 uh i think and i was i'm really good friends with katie hall we like for people who who know the american katie hall she was on bulls dolmens for a couple years and She's just incredible human, and we came up racing together, like in college and everything. And she won every single race in the u s that year, like every single race. She was like completely unbeatable. and I was like, "I love you, <laughs> but I hate you right now." <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about ST works. Like I love them, and I think they're so fun to watch. and like they they do win with many different riders in many different ways and Volering in particular, like at zulia she she won you know, on the climb, she won in a, in a reduced bunch sprint. She's like incredible, but I'm still just like, I love you, Mm -hmm. but I would really like to see someone beat you about now. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at. I think. I I feel like it's natural to hate
2: on the top dog, like naturally, especially as Australians. But I think, you know, Americans love it too. Abby, Canadians, I should say everyone loves the underdog. Um, so for me I really try and reframe it because I have been both and when I was you know kind of the top dog especially in Australia being in green edge everyone hated on us when we were here back racing and that was a really good lesson for me to be like well why don't they want to cheer for me anymore why do they want to like hate on me and the rest of the team and like I was the underdog last year and like I like to think of that when I'm watching the dominant riders being like, well, they had to come from somewhere. They're not just robots. They're not just like, uh, we're not just man versus the machine. Like they're not machines. They're people like they, they came and like they've, they've had their struggles. And I like watching, um, SD works because they actually most of the time have quite good strategy and, uh, they they pull off things quite well as a unit and I think other teams can learn from not just their strengths but as the way that they ride as a team as well because, and we can get into this, there was plenty of frustrating teams and riders that were, you just were like, what are you doing? Like, you can't win like that. Mm. And SD Works, of course, they're super strong at the moment but, like, they actually
1: mm.
2: do things well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just on that, uh, one of the things I wrote down was that uh Vollering apart from you know winning two stages in the overall she also did an awesome job riding for Weebus on the stages that Weebus won so yeah, you know she did a great lead out um for that uphill finish where you know Weebus actually was first across the line was relegated which we'll get to but also the stage where Weebus caught the break um Vollering did a huge lead out there so uh the the kind of humility of that of putting your own ambitions aside just for the day and riding for your teammate, I think that's that's really good. And, yeah, it just shows good strategy, as you said, Gracie, and a good willingness to work together where some other teams maybe could have taken a lesson from that.
0: And, I mean, like, Vollering Volering has only been in the peloton for five years. She's, like, still relatively fresh when it comes to years racing if you compare her to some of the people that she's competing against. And so it's actually... It's just insanely impressive what she's been able to do this season with how new she is. She's just incredibly talented. And so I still, I'm still i still excited to see her win. I still just love her as a rider. I think she's so open and honest, and, and she is so emotional that we, we just don't see that for many Dutch riders. I think it's really cool. And so I'm not, like, completely over them, but I do – yeah, I think it's, like, a dangerous – uh, spot that they're in at the moment where they might, I don't think they'll care though they're like, whatever, we're winning a bunch of races we don't care what anybody thinks <laughs> that's how they've always been
1: they've won 10 of the 17 world tour races this year oh that's, my god it's that 59% like going so to one team um, and of the the 74 wins that have come from world tour teams this year, Works has 25 so 35% of all wins of for the season have come from one of 15 teams at the top level so impressive yeah, not healthy not he- I mean yeah great for the team not healthy stats for the women's world tour I wouldn't have thought but um yeah what can you do
0: you can try to beat them Matt <laughs> <laughs> try harder yeah. guys come on <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> um no but I uh, I touched briefly on this in the, the Pretty Serious Bike Racing pod with Dane, but uh, if you look at kind of the GC of this race, we'll go into the first three stages, but I think if you're looking at the overall GC that Demi won, like, it was her first GC win of the year. So it's the first time she's won the leader's jersey. She obviously lost uh, La Vuelta Femenina to Annemiek Van Vluten, but... Um, because of stage six and then she lost it to her teammate because she kind of gave that win to Marlon Rusa, which was awesome I I loved that um so this is actually her first GC win of the year so it's it's a big moment for her to take this and the final stage was a big moment for her but if you look at the general classification the top like Uh, if you look at the top 10 and you just take out the two ST Works riders in the top 10 and Marlon Ursa and Vollering, you've got like Sharon Van Anroy. That is a very exciting result for the young Dutch rider. She's not ever been a climber before. So seeing her perform so well on the final stage was really cool. She held on to Demi for as long as she possibly could. And she walked away from from the race two minutes and seven seconds down on Demi. But I think that that's something she can be really proud of. Ashley moulin is coming back from a break after liege on liege So she's like building into the rest of the season. So she's, her and Demi are like on completely opposite trajectories of their fitness where Demi is coming down from a peak that she's been riding since the Ardennes and Ashley is building into the Tour de France Femme of swift And so the two of them, I think like Ashley getting third overall is actually a notable result thinking about how she's going to keep continue to build that form through the Giro and into the tour and then like the two UAE ADQ riders for me are like two of the most exciting riders in the top 10 and uh Sylvia Persico and Erica McNaldi because Persico like we know she's incredible on all terrain I think in the coming years she's going to be the rider to challenge Demi in like in an all-rounder sense because she's got a good kick and she can climb and McNaldy had like a spray a string of pretty impressive results a couple years ago when she was on Saratis at WNT, WNT rotor kind of in the 2019, 2020 season, but she's not really done much since. And I think for her, her ride on the final stage is going to be something that's going to kind of carry her into greater things coming forward. Cause she's a really exciting climber. And I think like what Gracie was saying, there are teams that could have done this race better and ADQ, UAE, UAE ADQ is one of them, but those two riders, I'm just like, I'm excited to see where this builds. If you kind of like look outside of SDWorks Works at the general classification,
2: <clears throat> yeah, for sure. I think there was some interesting performances and in a few riders that maybe are surprising as well. Like I think Persico and Magnaldi, they're not surprising, and they're ones to watch on the up. I like that the Israel Premier Tech's throwing out some really good talents at the moment too. They're a bit of an underrated team and much like the Israel Premier Tech men's team that started when they started a number of years ago now, it's that they were the underdogs of the World Tour and I feel like finally that's kind of what where they're at with a women's team and they've, they've got some good talents there that have been doing pretty well lately. So I think that... Um, Abby and, and, and Matilda are pretty spot on there. When you take away the uh, SD Works, uh headline, it's kind of like, well, oh, there is some interesting things going on actually in the peloton. Um, it's just that their light is a bit dimmed at the moment because of what's going on at the pointy end. Uh, so I think that the next couple of months could be interesting with some fresh faces fresh names that we haven't talked too much about some other riders that we have talked a lot about that are on the way up like mormon and persico so yeah i think even though it was a relatively boring (laughs) stage race it's um yeah if you dig a bit deeper into it it's it's like maybe a bit of a predictor of what's going to be good in the next few months
1: yeah. Magnaldi and Persico are really interesting as well because of the Giro coming up. So I think both will be racing the Giro. Uh, Magnaldi, you imagine will have an impact there. And then the tour, you know, Persico was one of the riders of the, the inaugural tour last year. And I can't wait to see what she does again this year. Cause yeah, like we've discussed such a versatile rider. And I think she was fourth overall last year, uh, something like that, but was up there on all different kinds of terrain and. Yeah, we're bound to see the same again this year, I reckon.
0: Yeah, and we also have like King and Stram put three riders in the top ten with Soraya Paladin, who like though it was an incredible climb from her, she still lost a bunch of time, but um, she managed to stay inside the top ten, which was pretty cool. And their new signing, the Polish rider, Agnieszka.
1: Yeah, Agnieszka skalniak soska
0: yeah, she's she's been around for a really long time, but I think like joining Canyon Stram has kind of put a little bit of fuel under her. And so she's had a couple of good rides so far this year, but this is by far her best performance this year so far in a world tour race. And so they're continuing to add to their really interesting roster of riders that are like, okay, you're all very good. So you all should probably win a race pretty soon. And they've also got, obviously, Chloe Deigart, who was amazing at Vuelta Feminina and didn't pull out of the race early, but then came back to Burgos and finished third, second slash third, we'll get into it, and, and then fourth on the overall. Like That's such an impressive ride from somebody who has n- literally no experience in the World Tour Peloton.
1: Yeah, yeah she, I think... As boring as the race might have been overall, she's one of the most exciting things to come out of it, I think, and has been for the last few races she's done. Um, I know she's a controversial rider for various reasons, but I think in terms of like pure sporting performance, man, very very exciting, very promising. Um, you know, being up there in the bunch sprints and then being up there on the climb on the final stage, and one of the things that I've enjoyed most about her this week has been just the way she's approached it. Um, You you read her quotes on the uh, Canyon Strand website and she talks about, you know, how she had no idea what to expect and how everything just, you know, a new day for her and she's still learning. And, you know, she said in the, the sprint is still a learning process for me. And then after the climb, she said, I had no idea what to expect and just trying to push my limits. Um, I'm pleased to be strengthening my weaknesses and just wants to improve. And I think that's a pretty terrifying prospect for her rivals, really, given, how little experience she has and how competitive she is across different terrains she's going to be a a very threatening all-rounder i think in a couple years time
0: she just needs to learn how to like harness the power that she has and like use it in a little bit more of a productive way because i don't know if going for those sprints with 700 meters to go is really the best way for her to go after a stage win like we've seen her race on the U S scene, just like throw down these insane attacks and solo away. And we know she can do that because of the power she put out to win the world championships in Yorkshire, the, the TT. And so you like, we know she has that power and that's, that's her biggest attribute is that power. So I think that she just, I don't know. I don't know if the team is trying to make her into like a sprinter type, but I think maybe they need to refocus where her energy is going. Because I think, like, if she were to make a bigger attack earlier in the race—not not that early—but like, I don't know, ten k to go or something. If she timed it right, if the if things fall in fell into place, she would be like Marlon Rusa. No one would be able to catch her once she got a little bit of space. She needs to watch what Marlon Rusa does, <laughs> just, like do that. <laughs> Because they're very similar riders. Yeah,
2: potentially. I don't know. I feel like... Tiget without... I don't know how much sprint training she does, but she's just so strong. Like, she could be a sprinter if she wanted to be. Which is... She probably could. Frustrating to, like, everyone else that's trying to be a sprinter and she's just beating them. <laughs> like,
0: I would... Yeah, to be fair, she's, like, <laughs> seated sprinting. Yeah. And she still gets third. Like, she still beat Kiera Consoni on stage one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Should we talk about the individual stages a bit? Yep. So, stage one was pretty much your straight straight up, like, no fuss sprinting stage. Won by Lorena Wiebes with Elisa Bosmo second and Chloe Daggart third. And I think, yeah, Lorena Wiebes continues to be the best sprinter in the world at the moment on the road at the moment she's just so good completely unbeatable and i think like for Elisa bosmo i really would have seen her how she rode last year i would have expected her to kind of challenge webus a little bit more for sprints this year but i think she's just not quite got that top end that she had last year so i'm curious to see how she continues to build through the season because you'd think that she's targeting either the Jiro or the tour I would assume that she wants to target the Giro, but the team might want her to do the tour. And we saw her do both last year and suffer because of it. So maybe one more year as a professional, one year older, it might be a little bit more feasible to, for her to do the double. But yeah, I'm not sure what the team's going to do with her this year. But she was she was second Ebis, which is unsurprising. The two of them, I think, were the best sprinters in the peloton, besides Consoni. And Daggett. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No,
0: definitely two,
2: two best sprinters above everybody else, and yeah, I Weavers is just too good. She's just, she's just this ball of muscle. She's got great lead out, and she just has the sprinter brain. It feels like. She just is a lot stronger. Like I'd love to see their um, their matched power between um, Weavers and Balsamo. It just looks like Balsamo is more of that sprinter that can get through a really tough classics day. Now I think she's just like a bit more of a versatile sprinter. Um, and I think Weavers is she's she's told us a couple of times now in interviews that's what she's trying to be. But she's just like yeah, she's just like a rocket when it comes to the flat stages
0: i wonder what's going to happen at the paris olympics if it's going to be the dutch are going to ride for her or that's going to be interesting actually that's a ways away (laughs) but it just occurred to me that that's kind of a sprinter friendly course Mm. anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah she's so good i i'm just constantly like blown away by how good she was and we'll get to stage 3 in a second but we gotta talk stage 2. Stage 2 was wild. There were crosswinds a lot of people who I think would have been up there in in the general classification like Sylvia Persico and McNaldi were caught out in the crosswinds and lost a ton of time like also um Ftj, pretty much all all of ftj who would have been up there Cecily utrip ludwig is coming back after the ardennes so she lost a ton of time on that stage as well and it ended up being like a reduced bunch sprint uphill kind of cobbly bunch sprint led out by demi vollering which so they were coming up to the line and it was kind of like a narrow cobbled street but there was a like slabs of stone in the middle of the street going up to the finish and so demi was leading everyone out on that and you had like demi with weebus on her wheel and then digart was kind of next to them on the cobbles and lorena it was hard to tell if she tried to get if she went to go around demi and into the gap between demi and digart and her front wheel or back wheel hit the Kind of tiny little lip where the stones and the cobbles were met, and she almost crashed. She was so close to crashing, but she kind of rebounded off of Dygart and then just blew past them to win the stage, with Demi getting second and Dygart third. But then after the race, after the podium presentation, they relegated Webus to third. So Demi so SC works still yeah, won the state with Demi Bolering. <laughs> <laughs> and and I thought it was so funny that Demi Vollering posted up because it was like such a great like it was a great finish. I one of Webus's most impressive sprint finishes in my opinion. And Demi posted up because I think it was just such a great moment. and and Weavis wasn't in the shot, so you still had a victory <laughs> photo. <laughs> you could have just like written Weavis completely out of the day because <laughs> like there was a victory photo with Chloe in the background. Oh, I, I cackled. I laughed really hard. <laughs> But it's there's been like a lot of discourse on the internet. I think a lot of people just like don't understand the decision by the jury to relegate Weebus because it clearly wasn't an intentional move to to hit DiGert to kind of get in Dygert's space. She was the gap big enough for for Weebus to fit through. Like, had she not almost crashed because she was like basically sideways when she hit Dygert. it wasn't a sketchy move. Look, in my opinion, I feel like it wasn't. I don't think she should have been relegated. But I've also seen people's opinion on the internet that it was clearly a sketchy move. There wasn't enough space. And she ran into another rider. So Gracie, I'm really curious what you think because you were the type of rider that would have contested against these people.
2: Yeah, look, I I should have gone back and watched it a few more times because it was tough to get it just from, you know, what they were showing us again and again after the finish. But like my initial thought was just actually it was due to the course. So it was like this narrow uphill finish through a town, which is great. It's a great finish, but you could see that it was like, um, like cobbled a little bit like those little round um, stones that you often see in, in Spanish towns with a, um, like a drainage strip up the middle. And that's where they were choosing to ride. Cause obviously that's going to be way smoother and faster. And I think that played into it. They were ch- kind of fighting for that, uh, smoother line as well as trying to figure out, you know, where they wanted to, to, to jump from. So I think there was just a bit of argy bargy anyway, because of the, the, um, the surface of the road so I think that ultimately it wasn't a bad move it wasn't overly dangerous no one crashed and I don't think that she needed to be relegated either so yeah I I agree
0: (laughs) I just sent you on escapecollective.com we have an a, a discussion post that I did and there's a gif of the overhead which I think I don't know watching it back it's like so I think for me, what pisses me off about this situation is not so much the relegation, the fact that they decided the relegation relatively late after the podium had already happened, then they had to bring Demi back on the podium, which was pretty funny because grumpy Demi is just hilarious. <laughs> but that like there's no explanation from the jury that made this decision on why they decided to do this. Like it feels like this is something, you know, in football slash soccer, if there's something that happens, like the the Referees have to explain the decision that they've made. And same with hockey. So I feel like with cycling, we should get a statement from the jury about why they decided to relegate Webus because we're just all on the internet throwing our opinions around willy-nilly, but there, there was a reason that they decided to do this, and they are, in theory, the experts.
1: I saw some so, reporting around think, it suggesting yeah. that the reason they upheld the relegation was because... The gap wasn't small enough. Like you talked about, it looked like Wevers tried to force her way through, but also that she was out of the saddle, sprinting where the other two were seated, and that had something to do with the decision. Um, I don't know if that's mm. true or not. If that's just the re- the reporter's perspective on on the report, but um it kind of feels to me like the decision was made based on how it looked from a first glance, which didn't look good, but then didn't take into account the fact that. Weebus' will slipped out and she was just doing what she could to stay upright. Um, and also, it's worth noting that Digert afterwards wasn't concerned about it at all. She said it was just a racing incident. She wasn't, didn't think it was unfair. Uh, Kenyon Sram didn't protest it at all. They, they weren't the ones that got it happening. Um, so, I don't know. It's a strange one. Like you say, it'd be good to have some more information about what exactly happened. Um, but yeah, my, my impression as well is that it didn't deserve... Relegation, but not a huge loss for SD Works, and you can see why they weren't too concerned about. It. Still on the stage, still on every stage, still won the race overall.
0: I don't know, Gracie. Now that you're watching it, what do you think? It reminds me of like a Cavendish sprint
2: where he has been relegated in the past. So I don't know. I'm a, I'm sitting on the fence now. To be fair, like I don't think it deserved relegation because of the outcome. In that, no one crashed, and actually, Dageit wasn't really impacted she was barely impacted by it but you know we talk on and on about rider safety and like should we do this should we do that um to to make finishes safer for women and and men in in racing so i think like also rules are rules and you're not really supposed to use your head or your bod- body to like push other riders around especially in the finish so even though nothing bad happened in this it's kind of like well you still have to set the example of what is fair and safe and what isn't. So I don't know. Maybe she did deserve it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that my piece just changed her mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's
1: a tricky one. There's an interesting it quote from, Di- from Digit afterwards saying, uh, when we made contact, my finger hit my shifter twice and bogged me down. So it was hard to get going again. So Digit didn't crash, obviously, which was great, but um, it did affect her sprint. So I don't know if that factors into it at all, but yeah, just a tricky one to know really what the right call is. And, uh, yeah.
0: The, in the meantime, the internet will continue to be chaotic. <laughs> it is what they do best. <laughs> but I want to
2: talk about before the finish because stage two, I think was the best stage because of the crosswinds and actually stage one confused me because we're only seeing like 35k to go every day most days it was kind of like you didn't really know what had happened and there was a lot of people riding on the front with about 30k to go on stage one and I was like is there crosswinds is this why they're wasting all this energy because to me it looks like they're just wasting energy and at least on stage two there were crosswinds but I would have loved to seen it split initially but I think it's a really great stage to go back and rewatch for riders because there's plenty to learn about how to ride in the crosswinds from this. Um, and there was some riders doing a really good job, mostly the SD works team and the Trek team. Um, and other riders that were doing a terrible job, and they were really paying the price for it. Diageit actually did not a very good job of riding in the crosswinds, but she's so strong she could keep riding around every rider that got
0: dropped. <laughs> Whereas most other riders, that was crazy to watch. <laughs> yeah. That was like that was like Evie Stevens level insane to watch. <laughs> yeah. Like how are you still here? <laughs> and most riders can't do that. And so why why
2: are you putting yourself in the worst seat? So yeah, like going back to. What I was saying, like, if you're a writer, definitely go watch this stage and, and have a look at the difference between riding in the echelon and, and pulling through and being in that chop off versus sitting on it. It's way harder trying to sit on, even though that's ca- counterintuitive. And there was a couple of writers um, and the person in my mind is Alex Manley, because I'm friends with her. I've been a teammate of her she should have known better. So maybe she was having a bad day, but I was like wishing I was her DS because I would have been yelling at her, like get (laughs) into the echelon. You deserve to be there. You're strong enough to be there. It's going to be way easier. Like, why are you sitting there? And there was a handful of other riders that were doing the same thing. Those the UAE, I think both Persico and McNulty got dropped out of that front group as well because they were also sitting where they shouldn't have been sitting and like every time they hit a, an open section that front group put it in the gutter and i found that interesting because i was like why are they doing that what they've got a nice group here but they were whittling it down and the the stronger riders like especially the sd works team they just really made a lot of people suffer that day and that's the 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 agony and the ecstasy of crosswind racing is that you can be the hammer, or you can be the nail, and if you, you choose to sit in the wheels, you're going to be the nail, and you're going to be dropped out pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, it's always, you conserve so much more energy in the echelon, and you just, as a rider, you have it just, like, drilled into your head that you don't want to hit the wind. But in an echelon, you you just, you want to be in that rotation. You save so much more energy. It was it was a little infuriating to watch, like especially Movistar. I think had like four riders in that front group, yeah. and they just one by one, they just were <laughs> spit out the back. Mm-hmm. And you were like, man, you went from being in a really really good position as a team to just being gone, no longer in the race.
2: Yeah, so that that was like the most interesting part of the tour for me. It was just like watching people that know how to ride crosswind really well and some people that should know better and others that really didn't have any idea and they they definitely learned their lesson that day so um
0: I was impressed with Ashley actually on that stage yeah she stayed in that front group seamlessly I was seamlessly effortlessly just
2: thinking the same thing actually so she isn't really known for her skills or tactics in racing I hate to say but like she was putting herself in good positions there and and making sure that she was staying in that that um the pace line of that echelon so yeah like you have to know to do that and you have to be pushy like you have to kind of like push your way into that pace line uh chloe hosking was the best at it if anyone ever raced against her you know what i'm talking about she would like yell at you and (laughs) say your name and like all these things but like that's what you have to do you have to like just force yourself into it and then stay there um Ashley Mormon kind of frustrated me right at the end though because they were all lining up for the sprint and then she was just like sitting wide of the group just like pushing her own wind so I was just like (laughs) oh all that work
0: (laughs) (laughs) Gracie, uh, Gracie,
1: I think we need to get you in a team car and get you DSing. I think it'd be great.
0: Uh, oh, that'd be so awesome. No, I don't Did
2: have you ever thing. do it? Yeah, yes and no. Like, I I think it would be cool, but being in the car and the race is such a small part of the job, I wouldn't want to do the rest of the job.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the rest of the job is the worst part of the job, exactly. to be honest. yeah. <laughs> like trying to just get people where they need to be on time. Yeah, it's
2: a lot of driving.
0: I was surprised to see Grace Brown lose a bunch of time on this stage as well. Like FTJ really did not have a good day this day. And um, they, this is not the first time that they've really, really struggled in the crosswinds. They, they had the same experience at the UAE tour as well.
2: Yeah. Like I said earlier, like I wish that I could have seen where the, the, the main split of the Peloton went in the stage, but <laughs> like, Grace Brown's face just makes me laugh every time. It just goes to shit like that. It's just, she looks so grumpy. <laughs> but, and I know what that feels like. And Abby, I'm sure you know what that feels like too. When you're not in the front group, you're just like, "Kill me now, I don't want to race bikes anymore. <laughs> when you have to chase yeah. all day. And apparently the, the, all of the women were saying
0: that it was a really hard day
2: because it just was relentless, no matter what group you were in.
0: No, I mean, like once you got to the front, past, like, the top 40, everyone just came in in, like, bits and pieces. Looks painful. (laughs) Makes my legs hurt just looking at the results. (laughs) Also, like, what a great ride by Brody Chapman. This is her first race back after crashing just horrendously bad at, was it, uh, gent Wevelgem? Yeah, Yeah, so really awesome to see her back, like, making that front selection and being a huge part of Trek Segafredo. And also, Loretta Hansen is back, which is super cool. Mm -hmm. Trek's like slowly getting their their core team back together to be able to contest SC works later on in the season
2: (laughs) yep agreed Brody was awesome and super good to see her and Loretta back I think they're gonna be very valuable coming into tour seasons season
0: so stage three was awesome (laughs) this finale was like so hectic the breakaway looked like they were going to make it. They were so close to the finish line. And then it, the overhead shot had me just like my my chin was on the floor because Lorena Weavis and Elisa Balzamo just came out of nowhere like they'd been shot out of a cannon. And it looked like the break was just standing still <laughs> with like 20 meters to go. And Lorena won the stage, which is a little bit of retaliation. For the, the day before when she'd been relegated, but it was such an impressive sprint from the two of them to like basically catch that and, and Demi Vollering did a huge turn to catch that group as the final kind of like push to catch that breakaway that was off the front. Um, and after the stage, Weebus said something about how, well, Demi's been working for me. It's my turn now. And we got to see the reverse yeah. of roles going into the final climb when Weebus and uh, Marlon Rusa did an amazing lead out for Demi going into the base of the final climb on the, on the fourth stage. But that sprint from Weebus and Balsamo, who came second, was so fast.
1: The, the breakaway had 30 seconds still with three and a half Ks to go. So, pretty decent gap. And then the last kilometre, Weaver said afterwards that she was convinced that the break had won the stage. And, yeah, if you haven't seen it, go and find the overhead footage, as Abby says, because the the way Weaver comes past with with, um, Balsamo on her wheel is is quite something. Uh, I feel for um, the breakaway and for Gutierrez in particular. I think she was the one that sparked that final move with... um, 30 k's to go or something like that and then she managed to hold on for third but uh yeah so so close
0: she was such a promising rider a couple of years ago I, this would have been such a massive victory for her to win that stage like there was a string of results that she had in like 2017 2018 that was really impressive when she was on silence and ever since joining Movistar she's, she's, had, she's been up there a couple times in like breakaways on, on stages of things but she's not really been as impressive as she was back in the late teens,
2: yeah, I think um this was also I think a local race for her hometown area race, so I think that she had that extra motivation to do well, but she looked like she was really strong and um being proactive, as you said, Matt liked to be the one that was initiating the break and she just banged her handlebars that she knew when she knew she didn't win the stage. So it would have been pretty frustrating, but she didn't do anything wrong. Uh, But I felt like this stage was the antidote to stage one in some ways, because stage one to me was like a bit of an old school women's race in the way that there was like a solo breakaway. She got brought back way too early. (laughs) People were like on the front for no reason. And then it was just this real messy sprint. And I feel like stage three was, like, really good, actually. And even though we've said this race was a bit boring, there was definitely mm-hmm. elements that were exciting, and this was one of them, of the breakaway being calculated to be caught, whether or not they calculated it or not. I think it for, for a breakaway, it did go away relatively late in that last 30K, and they they slowly gained a bit of time and then suddenly they had a minute and then it was, I think, up to two minutes. uh, And that was a lot to bring back. So I think that was an interesting dilemma for the peloton to, to figure out who was going to ride it back. And, um, but I think like we see that so much in men's racing of like that, will they, won't they, and that makes it really exciting for the finale. And I think you don't see that very much in women's racing. So I liked that the peloton kind of allowed that to happen in a way and that they didn't go full gas until 10k to go. And then they, they had quite a few troops in there, not just one team pulling and, and it went all the way to the line. Like that was really cool. And we don't get to see that very often. And I think that, yeah, the overhead shot was pretty awesome.
0: So stage four was the final stage. The climb is, I think, 11.7 kilometer long climb, but Demi broke free of everybody else with seven-ish K to go and Sharon Van Anroy on her wheel. And Demi won by like a minute and a half over McNaldi and Persico, finished two, three on the stage with Sharon and Ashley Woman Passio riding in four, five right behind and then Cecily Uchabludwig in sixth, Marlon Russo seventh. But uh, the... The duo of McNaldi and Persico, I mean, I guess it's like you can't really pull back a ton of time if you work together on a climb. Climbing is a little not as easy to, you know, tag team it as it is with the flats. But this climb wasn't super steep. It was like a pretty gradual climb. I think like seeing Dane said on, on the Pretty Serious Bike Racing podcast, it, he was surprised to see Digart finish ninth on the climb. And I feel like I, I wasn't that surprised just because the climb was relatively gradual with like a couple steep pitches but not really it was mostly just like a power climb and with something like that i guess i i feel like uae adq could have done a little bit more if they put two riders on the podium then they could have done a little bit more in my opinion but a great ride by Sheeran, like seriously taking fourth on a climb as a cyclocross rider i She's still so young. I am just really excited to see what Trek does with her.
1: Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that she's only 21. It feels like this season in particular, you know, she's had a an excellent season with that um, win in Binder and then third at Amstel and then second overall here. But yeah, it kind of feels like she's been around longer than a 21-year-old 21, 21 would have been. And uh, yeah, the next few seasons are going to be great. She's with Trek until 2025, I believe. So th- they must be really excited about her progression and um yeah no reason to think she's not gonna just get better over the next few years too
0: she's also got like a really good head on her shoulders like i feel like trek does that they they're really good at picking up just like good people that are also good at bikes (laughs) i'm maybe biased but i'll just ignore that (laughs) gracie you said that if you were a DS, you would have yelled at people. Is it only Jayco that you would have had strong words for? Or are there other teams that you would have changed their tactics in this race? Oh, uh,
2: yeah. Look, I have, you know, that bit more of a, a sore spot for the Jayco team because I was there for so long and it's like it's like your baby in some ways to be like, What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I feel like that a lot, uh, which is my own thing, but other teams, um, I don't know. I feel like it didn't seem like apart from Trek and SD works that many teams were actually riding as a unit. So I kind of can put a whole blanket across the Peloton for this particular race. Uh, I think Canyon SRAM doing an okay job, uh, UAE, you guys have brought that up a bit, uh, bit ones and twos all over the place as well and i don't know sometimes the shots from the back of the peloton also tell a pretty good story and you see a lot of Jayco riders a lot of uh, cofedus riders um and just yeah some of the, the some of the world tour riders shouldn't be down the back most of the time with the uh, the non world tour teams is all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. Man, Liv is is just really not pulling their weight as a World Tour team. I mean, a lot of them aren't. Um, but Liv, yeah, I don't know. I wish I wish we saw more from them.
1: Yeah, and with Garcia not racing this week, it really noticed it, I think. Uh, she's carried the team so much uh and her yeah, her absence really made it clear how much they rely on her, I think.
0: Yeah. And also like when it goes into the races where she'll be a favorite, like the Giro, it's, it's just such a bummer to see someone who's so strong without the support that they need to be able to back that. And I feel like live if they did, if they don't have one, it's kind of like Jumbo Visma before. Uh, Rihanna Marcus and like Anna Henderson started kind of turning heads like when they basically just when they didn't have v- Voss and they were just like yeah, the the emoji that has the two <laughs> arms up like they just didn't know what they were doing <laughs> and you just like never see anything from Yemo Visma unless Voss was in the race and they've definitely turned it around but I feel like that's kind of where Liv is right now um, that like when they don't have Mavi Garcia they're just like ah
2: yeah I don't know emoji <laughs> Actually, you just reminded me of, I'm going to go back to track, but not in the way you think. The video that they just put out about Lizzie Dagnan was great. And right at the end, they had this clip of her on the bus saying, I haven't raced with you guys and some of you and you, and all I want to say is you are so strong. And all week you were some of the strongest riders in this race. And sometimes when you're in a breakaway you might have the opportunity to go for the win and you're not going to be the support rider that day. Obviously, I'm I'm paraphrasing this because I'm not going to directly quote her, but the sentiment was just so good because she was empowering those other riders in her team to be like one day and hopefully one day soon you'll get your opportunity to step up and try and win as well and not just be a support rider. And I think having that kind of leadership in a team is absolutely invaluable it is priceless and i think a lot of teams don't have that empowerment to be like well everyone could win and should win at some point otherwise what are you doing here like sure some riders love to be support riders and they can build their career on that but it's it's somewhat valued less in women's cycling than in men's cycling unfortunately and uh i think you have to know how to win a bike race in women's cycling and uh there's heaps of riders in the peloton that you can tell that they just don't have that belief in themselves even though they have the desire don't get me wrong they all have the desire and the dream but they don't have that belief and the empowerment from themselves and from their teammates or or even staff so yeah I just thought that uh that clip of Lizzie saying that to her teammates is just like Every team should have that to 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 look at and to have someone say that to them because yeah, I think that there's a lot of riders that don't know how to race properly in the Peloton or in a breakaway, but it's because they don't even fully back themselves into to being in a winning position.
1: All I'm hearing, Gracie, is more reasons for you to be a DS, really. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well Lizzie should be a DS. <laughs> so that was great. I loved it. <laughs> I wish <laughs> Yeah, I, I had one or two people say that to me in my career, and it made a massive difference. Mm. And yeah, I wish that we could see it more. Because um, sure. being an athlete is hard, and sometimes you're surrounded by people that don't empower you.
0: And every single rider that's in this peloton is of of the top percent in the world. Like You can't get onto a team and race the top races without being at least semi good you know i think like for a lot of the teams especially the teams with world tour licenses that do have big names on the team that some of that can come down to management being poorly managed it doesn't matter how strong you are if you're poorly managed and you can't ride together as a team then you can't compete with a team like sc works yeah it's just not gonna happen
2: and say like either you you don't have that good uh, leadership in the first place or you've brought the B team, like you kind of have a bit of an A team and a B team in some ways, even though it's not official. Like sometimes you're not bringing the top riders there. Like, uh, and that (laughs) helped me bring me back to what you were saying, Abby. I lost my tangent there, is that like if you don't have your good rider there, like, do you, should you still be racing yes of course you should still be racing like how do you, how else can you win like think about it you don't need the garcias or or the Vosses or whoever to to win the race and i think some teams get a bit lost if they don't have their their a riders there and it's so easy then to be like well well sd works is going to win so they kind of they don't let it happen because sd works is probably going to win anyway but like you can put up a better
0: fight <laughs> I mean, that's how we saw Rihanna Marcus and Anna Henderson become such better riders, was that the team didn't bring Voss, and so they got opportunities, and they went for it. And, like, every team who has, like, yeah, like, Liv has riders that can step up to that. They just need to believe in themselves. So that was Burgos. Demi Vollering finally got her leader's jersey. I don't think it'll be the last one we see on her this season, but we'll see. If she can get that yellow jersey or not, it's coming like slowly. We're chipping away yeah. at a time. One,
1: one tiny point, and maybe it's obvious from what we haven't talked about, is that Van Vluten wasn't there. So she didn't race Burgos. So uh, I still think we're yet to see the best of Van Vluten this season. And still that showdown of the tour is, is shaping up very nicely, particularly now with following climbing as well as she is. So yeah, stay tuned for that one.
0: Yeah, that continues to be like a very exciting build up to what we're gonna see later this summer. All right, so coming up, we've got Ride London, the three day, basically three days of sprinting. Uh, The first two stages have three categorized climbs, but they're really short and punchy. The final, like five hundred ish meters of both of those stages is uphill, but it's not like it's not like it's you know a twelve percent grade it's just kind of slightly uphill and then the third stage is pan flat london basically criterium style race so i think we're going to see some pretty great sprinting from ride london and st works is not going to be there so there will be no st works dominance <laughs> in the uk this weekend but we do have charlotte cool who will have Megan Jastrab with her to help with the lead-out. We've got Elisa Balsamo is going, and Dagnan will be there as well, which is very exciting. And then according to the provisional start list, which today is Sunday, and the race is not until Friday, and the fact that there's a, like, almost complete start list is almost mind-boggling to me. (laughs) Um, But according to that... Dygart is going to be at the race. So that should be pretty interesting. Um, along with Micah Vandadoon, who had a couple good results in the flattish races for Canyon Sram this spring. So cool to see her back. Caponi will be there for FDJ and Consoni will be there for UAE. ADQ and then Amelie Diedrichsen is going to be there as well, which she won a lower level race recently and I have a soft spot for her probably because she follows me on Instagram and I don't know why, (laughs) Um, but she, she's a really exciting rider to be kind of coming back into form after many, many years of struggling and a former world champion. So a really good opportunity for UNO X to get a good result. And unlike last year, we'll actually have live coverage on G C N plus. It's only an hour per day, but there will be live coverage. It does exist. <laughs> yes, good.
1: Yeah, if it ends up if it ends up being a battle in the springs between Cool and Balsamo, I think that'll be really important for Balsamo to try and get a win or two. You know, she's as you said, Abby she's been pretty summarily dismissed by Weebus and it, if she can get a win there and get some confidence up before the Giro and maybe the Tour i think that'll do her and track a lot of good
0: yeah i agree with you and i think it's super interesting actually the dynamic between cool and Balsamo without webus there because like when it's cool versus webus they're pretty much hand in hand like webus has destroyed cool in sprints but cool has also beaten Weebus in sprint so it's such an interesting duo those two and also that they used to be teammates and that cool was Webus's lead out it's like a storyline that I just never get tired of and then without her there i think cool and balsmo like balsmo will take a lot of confidence from webus not being there which might be the extra kick she needs to beat cool so i think it's just going to be really really interesting and also like trek has um, Ilaria coming. So she's Balsamo's main lead out rider even before she joined Trek. So that's going to be huge for her. Obviously, she wasn't at uh, Burgos. So I think that will kind of give her a little bit of an edge too. So I'm excited to see how, how it goes with Balsamo versus Cool at this race. And they have three chances to sprint against each other.
2: We love sprinting. So it'll be good
0: either way. <laughs> it's growing on me sprinting. Um, mostly because the climbing is just like, you know who's going to win, you know, two weeks in advance. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess like you can't really say that with the Vuelta Femenina because you would have been like, yeah, Van Vluten's going to win, but Volering, man, she's just on another level. All right. Well, before we close out the episode, Gracie, what are you obsessed with this week?
2: Ooh, this is always a good question. And I always forget to think about it until right before the podcast. <laughs> um Well, as you can hear in my beautiful voice, I've been a little bit sick, so I've been watching a lot of TV again, and I stumbled across a show that I'd been aware of for ages but had never watched, and it was awesome, and it was called The United States of Terror, or Tara, as we would say in Australia. And it's – I think they filmed it in 2009 to 2011, so it's, like, pretty old now, but – It's about a woman with DID, which is um, Dissociative Identity Disorder, formerly known as Multiple Personality Disorder, and it's with one of my favourite actresses of all time, Australian Toni Collette, and it was just a joy. Three seasons, I smashed through it, (laughs) (laughs) and I really enjoyed it, and I guess I love anything to do with uh, the mind and psychology and mental health, and I thought that they tackled it quite well in you know they still have to make it entertaining but I don't think it was offensive I thought they handled it really well and they brought up some really great topics and it was just a really good show so I would highly recommend that to anyone who hasn't watched
0: it (laughs) that's interesting from something that came out like oh nine I feel like when you dive back into older things it's always a little bit cringe
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, that's another thing I'm I'm obsessed with is older TV. So like, I just, I love new TV of course too, but I I do go back and watch older shows because I like to see how they stand up. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you realize like that some shows were ahead of their time and they weren't given enough credit for that. And sometimes it's just nice because some of the older shows are just easier to watch. (laughs) They're not as dark. Maybe I've already said that before. They're just like, it's just a bit nicer sometimes to watch older (laughs) TV shows because they're just not as heavy. But this one was kind of heavy, but it was still funny. Very funny, too.
0: There are some really good TV shows that were before their time. Have either of you ever seen Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency? No, that's right up my alley, though. It is so good it's like (laughs) it's so good they only made two seasons and nobody like caught on to it and i think now it's kind of people are watching it and it's getting a little bit people are like wait why wasn't there more because it's really a cliffhanger so you just have to be aware of that before you watch it but it's quite good there's a lot of those shows that are like oh man this was before it's time Mm -mm. (sighs) yeah matt how about you
1: so, I've also got a, a TV one this week. Um, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned that I was just finishing up reading The Expanse, which is a nine-part sci-fi epic series, which I really enjoyed. Loved the how it all ended. Loved the series. Would highly recommend it to anyone that hasn't read it, that likes sci-fi. Um, and I've just started watching the TV adaptation of that. I managed to hold off for, yeah, nine... Books before letting myself watch it And I'm really glad I did And now that I'm watching it uh, I'm just loving it so much I smashed through the first season very quickly And I can't wait to To dive into the second part It's kind of I don't know if you guys have this But it's one of those ones where I'm just working away And I just It's in the back of my head I just I want to drop everything And just go and watch it right now It's all I want to do um, And it's so cool to see this stuff That you've read about I um, I guess acted out on screen but more just the visuals as well like it's such a visual thing space opera and these, these epic space battles and stuff so being able to see how they've created that is a real joy uh so yeah I definitely recommend that The expanse
0: that's a that's a definition of what you were obsessed that's what you're obsessed with like you that it's yep. the only thing you're thinking about so thank you for that yep. <laughs> pleasure well i was going to say a tv show as well um but in the interest of keeping things a little bit um, different. So I'm, I have my parents right now and my sister lives here and my cousin lives down the road and my best friend came to visit and we've just had like a full house. And so I think the thing that I'm most obsessed with this week in the last couple weeks is family dinners. Aww. Like I, yeah, I feel that's like, so wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Gracie, like you, you'll kind of you kind of understand like you you live overseas and so you're really far away from your family all the time. and like people move and and families kind of disperse. But it's been really fun being here because people have been coming to visit and like my sister's partner comes over all the time. So we have like this full table all the time. And I think there's been like three nights that I've been at my parents that there's only been like three people at dinner, me and my parents, when my sister said to work and stuff. So it's been super cool. And my mom is like an amazing cook. And she's always got like three courses on the table. And so it's just been super cool to have those family dinners, like outside the sun is shining, the baby is throwing watermelon. It's, it's been really fun. (laughs) That sounds super nice. And it must be like, so
2: nice to have the next generation there with you to like kind of take part and, you know, feel the good feels back from when you were a kid too, and recreate it for um, your little one. So I think that's, that's really cool. I
0: like it yeah yeah it's made me want to like try to do like chosen family dinners in andorra with like friends because it's like such a cool vibe to have like many people sitting around a table like a weekly thing it's it's really special and i feel like we're in a society where um it's very isolating like everyone is isolated even if you have a family close by like you're still pretty isolated and i don't know if it's like a post-pandemic thing or a internet thing but it's just something i've noticed and i feel like yeah it's family dinners are just they like fill your cup so much at least like for me i know a lot of people have families they don't get along with but like chosen families are families too like you can totally just a full (laughs) table of people you love is like just a really special thing that i i'm obsessed with
1: yeah love that
0: but i also like queer eye that's a great show you guys should (laughs) (laughs) queer eye yeah i've read that they're
2: they're getting some pretty good reviews for the latest season so i need to get on that it's
0: good yeah (laughs) all right well that's it thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll be back next week